Get ready to step into scripture with Tina. Hey everyone, welcome to Step Into Scripture. My name is Tina Wilson. I'm a pastor's wife and a mom of seven. Alongside my husband, Matt, I've committed my life to serving King Jesus as a church planter, a Bible teacher, an author, and an advocate for all-in family ministry. I am incredibly passionate about making Christ and His church famous and about seeing people make the commitment to read the entire Bible. And that's really the point of this podcast is we want to point people toward the whole of Scripture. And in season two, we are answering Bible questions that are submitted by listeners and viewers, and we are answering them by looking at what the entire Word of God says about particular topics. So this week, we are talking about spiritual warfare, and I'll just read this question exactly as it was submitted. Our friend Lauren asked, the battle being waged in the spiritual realm, angels, demons, God, the devil, etc., where do we fit into all of that? Now, we've broken this question down over two episodes, one focusing on Old Testament, and another, this episode is going to focus on just the New Testament. So in this part two, where we're digging into the New Testament teachings, we want to let you know that if you have not listened to part one yet, mm-hmm. we want you to just hit pause right here right. and go back and check that out because we laid some foundational principles for this discussion that we found in Old Testament accounts. So if you missed season two, episode five, you need to go back and listen to that before you come here to episode six. But we're going to do just a very quick recap of some of the principles that we found there. Right. First of all, from the book of Job, we learned that there are unseen forces of evil that accuse us before God and seek after our harm, but they can only do harm within the bounds of what God allows. We saw that from reading from Job 1 and Job 2. From the book of 2 Kings last week, we learned that there are unseen forces of God that surround and protect and strengthen us Mm -hmm. against attacks that are intended by those who oppose God and his people to bring us harm. So we also have defenders. Mm -hmm. And then from the book of Daniel, we learned that these forces on the side of evil or on the side of God, they war against each other and that we actually have an active role in this battle. We have to choose a side and it's either going to be God's side or Satan's side. And then from the book of Zechariah, which is where we ended last week, uh, we learned that we get a preview of a turning point in the spiritual war that is waging this unseen battle. And that turning point was accomplished by Christ's crucifixion and resurrection. So that's where we started this thing last week in the Old Testament. And now we're going to look at some accounts and teachings about spiritual warfare in the New Testament. So Stacy, if you will, introduce yourself and bring us in with some principles and accounts from Jesus Christ himself. Yes, I'm happy to. Uh, my name is Stacy Vines. I am a mom, a homeschool mom, a Bible teacher, and uh, like I say every week, it is an absolute joy to be stepping through Scripture with all of you. Tina and I have been stepping through Scripture for a long time. Uh, reading the Bible from start to finish has been a banner uh, that the two of us have waved for a long time. My life has really been marked uh, by seasons where I have read the Bible from start to finish, so this uh, feels like home. I'm happy to be stepping through this with everyone, and uh, to get part two, rolling to this big question of where do we fit in all of this, this spiritual battle and spiritual warfare. As we step through the New Testament, there's no better place to start than from lessons that we find given to us from Jesus himself. And so we're going to start right there. 
In the New Testament, we see that Jesus began his earthly ministry by being baptized. We see that this even had um, a a participation in the spiritual warfare. And we're going to read that account of what happened immediately after his baptism from the book of Luke in the New Testament, chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. And we see Jesus full of the Holy Spirit, right? He was just baptized. The Spirit has come down upon him. God has opened the heavens. This is my son with whom I am pleased. And Jesus is led by the Spirit. It says he left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days. And at the end of them, he was hungry. So we see a spiritual action going on here. The first time... I actually read that for myself and realized that the Spirit is what led him into the wilderness. It changed my opinion of of where I sat in spiritual warfare. I had not even considered that before, and it was this very scripture that really brought me to that place. Verse 3, the devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. But Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want. Verse seven, if you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So the devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, and he quotes again scripture, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had finished all of his tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Some things that we can see from Jesus' example, right? These are the lessons we wanna pull as we evaluate where are we in this spiritual battle, what we can see Jesus do as he is being tempted, as he is in this spiritual battle. Everything that the devil tries to offer him is similar to what he offers us. It comes in layers. At face value, this temptation starts with just feed yourself, right? Turn these stones into bread, right? This looks a lot like self-care, me time, idleness. The, the, <laughs> Tina, I cannot even believe it. Do you believe that we're talking about bread and idleness again and idolatry? This is a topic Tina and I have been talking about for years yes. now, a lesson that God has taught about being idle and idolatry in my own personal life, but it looks like self-care. It looks like putting when, your... <laughs> When the words left your mouth, it immediately took me back 10 years. I'm so glad it's not just me. Um, I, I, I am very grateful for the lessons that God has taught me through his word over the years, even the ones that make me very uncomfortable the way that I am right now. Uh, Satan, though, can seem to be trying to benefit you, right? It looked on its face. He was trying to benefit Jesus. Uh, and we read this and go, oh, well, Jesus was hungry, right? So that must have been why he tempted him with this in the first place. Yes, on its face, it may look that way. But really, he was trying to convince Jesus that you can provide for yourself. Yeah. You can care for yourself and I can help you with that. But in order to... Uh, to walk in that self-care, he would have had to align with the enemy. And we see Jesus' response was, 
absolutely not. Right. Not me. Uh, I will not put myself first. I'm going to walk out my obedience. And so uh, his end desire, the enemy, is always uh, to get our allegiance uh, from God and to him. We also need to know God's word. We see uh, that Jesus responded to each of Satan's attacks against him, these very real spiritual attacks against Jesus while he is in the wilderness praying, while he is fasting. We see that he responded with the word of God. But something that is super profound about this uh, isn't that Jesus just quoted scripture. It's also that Jesus knew the mishandling of Scripture. Right. He knew when Satan twisted the Word of God to use it against him as a weapon. And we must be able to do the same thing. This still happens. Tina's going to talk to us here in just a little bit about false teachings. Yeah. The only way to spot a false teaching or a misrepresentation or mishandling of God's Word is to know it ourselves, Right. to live it ourselves. How do we do that? Well, here... We wave the banner of read the whole thing, an yeah. open-ended commitment to reading it from start to finish and then do it again. Uh, scripture teaches us that this is our sword, and the only way to yield a sword properly is to know how to use it and to recognize when someone is misusing it, right? Size up your foe. Right. And then lastly, we see a pure heart, fully in submission to God. This is the only way that we will overcome Satan and these spiritual attacks. And we see Jesus has modeled this for us, achieving victory in a spiritual battle when forces of hell sought to destroy him. And they still work to incite us against God. If our motives are not for God's glory, which they were in Jesus, then we're in danger of falling under Satan's attacks and then falling prey to these temptations and even making Scripture a tool for our own personal goals and gains. And it's not as difficult to fall to as we might think. Right. Another really hard truth that we're going to walk through in this episode, I hope will resonate every listener, long-term believer, or maybe newcomer to the family, um, is that we all have the ability to fall to this. But in contrast to us, who is just easily led away by these temptations, Jesus was committed to glorifying the Father, even as he prayed for victory in this midst of this greatest spiritual battle his own murder. He is praying, and we'll read his prayer from John um, chapter 17, verse 1. He says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. So facing his own death, where hell is seeking to silence the glory of God, he prays that, that for once he would be glorified. But why? Only to glorify the Father. So we must also have a pure and humble heart that is wholly submitted to God. Uh, Another piece that's worth mentioning right here is that during Jesus' ministry on earth, we do see Jesus driving out evil spirits. Yeah. And so here's a few examples that we just wanted to highlight um, as we talk through this concept of Jesus driving out. When Jesus drove out demons, some of his audience, they just outright rejected him. They they said, nah. This is the work of the devil. This is the work of Satan. Um, We're not going to have any part of that. Some thought it was the work of God. Some were indecisive. Um, And it says here from the book of Luke, chapter 11, verse 16, others tested him by asking for a sign from heaven. You know, a lot of the things that we've talked about in this question, right? This spiritual battle, angels, demons, demonic powers, spiritual warfare, where are we in all of these things? 
I think a lot of it comes from our curiosity of what we can't see. Yeah. But like the call that we gave last week to focus on what we do know, I just want to echo or just follow up on what Luke has written there. If they asked for a sign again after they saw him drive out evil, would we believe it too? Or would we also ask for a sign? Yeah. So I think that's a good way to self-reflect while we talk about this. Um, are we also looking for a sign from Jesus or are we ready to just trust in the plan and the execution that he's already carried out? Yeah. What they had seen Jesus do wasn't enough. I know that we both personally have encountered Jesus and we've witnessed miracle on miracle, experienced blessing on blessing, and we've walked through very hard seasons, each individually and together. And what I've seen Jesus do is enough. Yes, absolutely. But there are times where we go, what are you doing, Jesus? We still question him. And and maybe that's our version of asking for a sign. They still were not ready to put their faith in him. And Jesus gave a sharp warning against this. And we can all heed this same warning because it's a warning against a non-committed heart or an attitude that says, mm, I'm just not convinced. I'm not committed wholeheartedly. He says in, the, in Luke chapter 11, verse 23, Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Mm -hmm. Then Jesus goes on to create a word picture of a vacant, empty home, and it represents a person who has experienced an act of God in their life. And like these who were watching Jesus perform these miracles, this house has remained vacant and vulnerable because though the strong man, being Satan, has been removed from this house— and now someone who is stronger, Jesus, is living in this house. He doesn't remain there because of their lack of faith. Yeah. So what is the point? If we don't fill the void in our life like that vacant home, if we leave this vacancy open to be vulnerable to Satan's attacks, if we don't fill it with Jesus, then we can easily be guided off the path towards Jesus. Uh, something, um, something else, if we're not guided in our lives by the Holy Spirit, we can be sure that we are gonna be guided by something else. Yeah. That's another very important principle when we talk about spiritual warfare. We, we put the call out last week, we have to choose what side we're on. Yeah. If we're idle, we've still chosen a side. If we leave our home vacant, we're still choosing a side. We will be led by one or the other. As we waver in our faith and obedience, we create this open space for the enemy of our souls to get to work in our souls. And because Jesus was victorious in this spiritual battle, my favorite part of this entire episode is where we're going right now. Because he was victorious in this battle, in this war against Satan and sin and death, we can now have confidence that his church will be victorious in the ongoing spiritual battle that is being waged outside of our view. All the things that we've talked about and then some, the things that we cannot see, there is still victory in those things and our faith tells us so. He said assuredly to this, his apostle Peter in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. And I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And speaking of Peter, it's the perfect introduction to the next part of these lessons that we're gonna learn as we look at spiritual warfare in the New Testament. We're gonna talk through some of the lessons that the apostles teach us. And Tina's gonna walk us and step us through that. And it's gonna be my favorite part. Okay, so 
it's important here as we get into these lessons from the apostles that we reiterate something that we covered way back in season one. And if you missed this, I do hope you'll go back and listen to all of it. You can go to season one, episode six, that was titled, It Was Written by Man. Mm -hmm. But here's a quick recap. Jesus' apostles, those are ones who are sent. That's what that means. They're identified by Peter, like Mm -hmm. you were just talking about. Jesus gave Peter this charge. I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church in the gates of Hades. not overcome it. And then we see Peter having this integral role in opening and establishing the church to the Jews, to the Samaritans, to the Gentiles. He's present every time a new group comes into the church, receives the Holy Spirit. And Peter, this same Peter in Acts chapter one, gave us the three scriptural qualifications for an apostle of Jesus. Right. Number one, they had been present with the disciples through Jesus' earthly ministry. Number two, they were a personal eyewitness Mm -hmm. to the resurrected Christ. Mm -hmm. And number three, their appointment as apostles was confirmed through miraculous spiritual gifts. These are what 2 Corinthians 12, 12 calls the marks of a true apostle, including signs, wonders, and miracles. Mm -hmm. Now we'll say something about Paul here because we're going to look at quite a bit from him. The apostle Paul Although he was not present with the disciples during Jesus' earthly ministry, which is one of those three qualifications, he was an eyewitness to the resurrected Christ on the road to Damascus. And so Paul referred to himself in 1 Corinthians 15, 8 as one abnormally born right? because his appointment to apostleship looked a little bit different from the others. Mm -hmm. Now, why is that important? It matters because we do see a driving out of demons, Mm -hmm. a gift, a miraculous sign and wonder that was given to the apostles for the establishment of the Lord's church in the first century. But there is no one alive today who meets those scriptural qualifications of an apostle. Mm -hmm. Now, that's a title that's often thrown around loosely today. Um, Sometimes someone just decides one day to stick the title apostle in front of their name. And that's between them and God. I don't know what they mean by it. I can only speak to what the Bible speaks to. And what the Bible says is there are specific qualifications Mm -hmm. that make someone one of Christ's specific commissioned apostles who are given gifts of signs, wonders, and miracles. And that's why this is really important to this conversation. Yes. So I want us to look then, based on that understanding, at an account from Acts 19, 13 through 16, because here we get a a unique view of spiritual warfare. I don't Mm -hmm. know of any other account quite like this in the Bible. So starting in verse 13 of Acts 19, some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, Mm -hmm. I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day, the evil spirit answered them. Jesus I know, and Paul I know about, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. Mm. I often laugh about how my husband has preached this account before. (laughs) He has said, you know, 
this must have been something serious because you would have to kill me yeah. before you beat me naked. Yeah. Yeah. And I run out into the street naked. You would just have to beat me to death uh-huh. before that happens. And that's what happens here. But what does this account, this strange account, teach us about spiritual warfare? Mm-hmm. Let's just look at the obvious principles here. There are people who were not apostles and didn't have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, but thought they had authority. And I want you to remember where they were calling on that authority. Right. They tried, it says, to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus. And and we even are given specifically what they would say in right. their deliverance ministry. In the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Now, I see this teaching today that we can just shout the name of Jesus mm-hmm. and and all things spiritual bow to our command. But I want you to recognize that we see in this account that authority in spiritual warfare is not wielded by just throwing out a name. Right. Because even the demons give us that answer. Right. In That's this account. Right. Yes. It has to be an authentic relationship with God through Christ mm-hmm. that this authority is built on. And fakes, they're unknown to the demonic world. They say, Jesus, we know, and Paul, we've heard about, mm-hmm. but who are you? Right. And they're easily overcome. So there's a big caution here against misusing this idea of apostleship right, and the specific power and spiritual giftings that were given to Christ's apostles for the purpose of establishing the credibility of their testimony to build Christ's church from the ground up. Absolutely. So that's principle number one. The second thing I want us to recognize from this is that the demonic world knows Jesus. Yeah. They are very aware of him. James, the brother of Jesus, confirmed this. He says in James 2.19, you believe there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. There Mm -hmm. is more to an authentic relationship with God through Christ than just knowing about or even acknowledging the lordship of Jesus Christ. I think we see that all the time. Yeah. We see that in believers who believe in Jesus, but there is no act behind it. Right. And it just falls flat. That's right. Yes. Then a third principle I want us to look at here is apostles like Paul were known to the demons. They were known in the spiritual realm. And that tells us Mm -hmm. that there is this underground spiritual realm communication happening that our efforts and our impacts for Christ are actually being talked about in places that we can't hear and we can't see. And that we don't want to talk about or see. We definitely don't (laughs) want to. I don't care to see it at all. But then a fourth and a harsh lesson here is that those who claim apostleship, Mm -hmm. this specific calling and commission that was granted exclusively to those who Peter identified in Acts chapter one by very specific qualifications, Mm -hmm. those who claim that and in fact are not that, they will be defeated. Mm -hmm. And, And not only will they be defeated, but I would go so far as to say that what they are doing qualifies as blasphemy or as slandering celestial beings. And I would love for you to take time to just read two chapters, Second Peter chapter 2, mm-hmm. and then the book of Jude, which is only one chapter. So just those two chapters. Go back and read those, and it will give you a fuller understanding of how false teachers blaspheme or heap abuse upon celestial beings or fallen angels or even Satan himself 
Jude says that even the angels, according to Jude, know better than to do this. They know better than to blaspheme, slander, and heap abuse upon celestial beings. Instead, they say, the Lord rebuke you. Uh They don't try to carry an authority that is not theirs to carry. And that's, that's the harsh lesson here is that we should not try to throw around an authority that is not specifically given to us either. Absolutely. And it, it, it leads us into right where we started, uh, what Jesus said, this is my church, the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. So if that's not the power that we have, if the apostolic ministry has died, right? If this ability to drive out demons and to cast out evil spirits, if that's not our power and our weapon in spiritual warfare, then what is our our weapon and our power in spiritual warfare? The Bible tells us what this is. So to find out exactly what our power as the church is in this unforeseen war going on around us, we're gonna look at Ephesians, the New Testament account, uh, starting in chapter six, we're gonna read verses 10 to 18, and we'll pick up and get started. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand, where? against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of the evil of evil in the heavenly realms. So here's the stage. This is where we sit in this battle. Where do we fit in all of this? We fit as those who have been been commissioned to put on the full armor of God because here is where our battle is. It's not against flesh and blood. It's not against others. This is right where we started. Well, I'll pick up and keep reading, but I want to, I want to, I want to mark that. Let's put that in our back pocket um, when it comes to the spiritual forces and the contrast that uh, Paul put there between flesh and blood and spiritual forces instead. Verse 13 Therefore, or instead, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your guard. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all of the Lord's people. What do we know about this? We know number one, that there is coming a day of evil. We are all going to be attacked in this spiritual unforeseen combat going on around us. And we have here the footprint of what to do. How do we stand? What do we use as these pieces of our armor for when that comes? Because it wasn't if that day comes, right? but it's when that day comes. What is coming? Flaming arrows from the evil one. Yes. But just to throw out what Paul put in contrast there to pick that back up from our back pocket, he puts in contrast flesh and blood and spiritual forces. When we got started in this conversation, we talked about man's evil desire being upheld and empowered by demonic forces. That looks like flesh and blood coming against flesh and blood. Yeah. But we have to look through that and recognize the spiritual forces behind it. So these are the offensive and defensive weapons that we see scripture has given to the church. 
Today, we still see an ongoing deliverance ministry practiced by several people who attempt to walk in this apostolic ministry, the commission that Jesus gave to the apostles, and their attempt to drive out demons physically, right? To participate in this spiritual war in the ways in which we saw that they did in the days of the apostles. Jesus had given them, just like Tina pointed out just a few moments ago, a very specific commission to build the Lord's church, to bring about this kingdom from the ground up. That's not the model that we see given to us in scripture when it comes to spiritual warfare. The commission that Jesus has given to all of us is to go and expand the kingdom that they built from the ground up. That was their commission as apostles. Our commissions as Christ followers is to go and expand the kingdom of Jesus by how? Going into all the world, into all the nations, baptizing those, teaching them what he has commanded, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he gives us a promise that he will be with us even until the ends of the world. So even till the end of time. So we see this very different commission. And so the ongoing deliverance ministry that we see practiced today should make us go, I'm going to pause on that. And I'm going to participate in spiritual warfare, how the how the scriptures teach me to in this side of that change that we see yes. where we started all of this. Well, and you, you mentioned already Matthew 16, 18, that Christ is going to build this church yes. and the gates of hell won't overcome it. Yes. Gates are a defensive tool. Right. So that commission that, that you're talking about that we're called to today, how do we engage today? We are beating down That's the exactly gates right. of hell and, and the 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 guarantee from yeah. Jesus is that those gates will not be able to prevail against mm-hmm. our going out. Yes. Gates are not an offensive weapon where we're standing here defending ourselves against hell. We're actually beating down the gates as Christ church. Yes. We're on the offense now. Absolutely. And we're clothed in this armor. Yes. Right? And what is it that we're using to beat against the gate? It's the love for God and the love for others. It's the same thing that that we saw in our last week's episode where Elisha was able to show kindness and hospitality yes. to his enemy. Yeah. That's how we prevail against this spiritual warfare. That's how we do as Ephesians has taught us to do, to pray in the spirit. We must stop focusing on what's right in front of us, the flesh and blood that's all around us, but instead be more focused on heavenly things. And here's what we can count on when we are praying about these things. And here's how we can do that. We can pray on all occasions. We can pray with all kinds of prayers. We can always keep on and we can pray for all the Lord's people. This is a formula for being engaged in spiritual warfare, not idle while it's happening as combat unseen around us and choosing to be on the Lord's side of it, actively beating against the gates of hell, expanding the kingdom of Christ in the commission that he has given to us with what bounds scripture has given us and the authority that has been given to empower the church to do so. Yeah. My favorite part. I love it. So that is the power that is given to us as Christ church in this war. Where do I sit? Well, I hope I sit clothed in the armor That's of right. God mm-hmm. because that is the power that is given to us. But I want to point out that there's also a danger in the church. Every time there is a great power, there is also a danger. There is a danger. And and obviously, you know, outside of the church, in the world, yes, that is Satan's domain. Right. That is where he is uh, running rampant and people are just feeding into his power by living lives of sin. 
But in the church, mm-hmm. here's what this can look like. How can this spiritual warfare infiltrate us? Mm-hmm. Well, it can do that. Peter, Paul, and John say through false teachers who infiltrate the ranks of God's army. Right. And I want us to look at a few of these teachings, starting in 2 Corinthians 11, 2 and 3. Paul says here to the church at Corinth, he right. is speaking to the Lord's people, to this army who to should us. be battle ready. Right. Yes, clothed in the armor of God. He says, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. Mm-hmm. I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. But I am afraid that just as Eve mm-hmm. was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may be somehow led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. So in this passage, Paul is warning against false apostles, which we talked about earlier when we were reminded of marks of a true apostle that are laid out for us by Peter in Acts chapter Mm 1. And it's interesting here that he likens their deception that they bring into the church, false apostles, false teachers, to the same deception that Eve fell to in the Garden of Eden, which was the very first spiritual battle recorded Mm -hmm. in Scripture, was this idea of Satan, the deceiver, the accuser, coming to God's creation in the form of a serpent Mm -hmm. to lead them astray. That is no different, that snake in the Garden of Eden, than a false teacher right. who is a snake and comes into the Garden of God's church, Absolutely. into this place of the saints where Paul says, you need to be pure, to be presented as a virgin bride, right. untainted by the world. So let's keep reading here, verses 13 through 15 in the same chapter, 2 Corinthians 11, for such people are false apostles, deceitful workers, masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It is not surprising then if his servants also masquerade as servants of righteousness, their end will be what their actions deserve. Mm. So this is acting like mm-hmm. Satan himself when when people come into the church distorting the teachings of the word Stacy you just went through the 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 armor the mm-hmm. armor of God and in that armor we've got this one offensive weapon right. that is the sword of the spirit the word of God right. and when people come in and twist that they are doing exactly the same thing as Satan masquerading as angels of light when they are truly demonic right and Paul gets pretty specific here when he warns Timothy mm-hmm. and he calls some of them out even by name in 1 Timothy 4 1 and 2 he says the spirit clearly says that in later times some will abandon the faith and follow Get this deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. And in 1 Timothy 20, he calls out among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I've handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. Right. Well, what's that about? We just read about false teachers who are not afraid to blaspheme celestial beings. Right. And when they do this, when we have people who come in falsely claiming apostleship, deviating from the word of God, scripture says they are actually following deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Right. This is what spiritual warfare can look like inside Christ's church. So the question again, where are we sitting in all this? Well, 
we have to be careful that we're not sitting on the receiving end and believing these false teachings. Right. That's the purpose of this whole podcast. Right. We want you to commit yourself, like Stacy said, to reading the whole word of God. That's how that's how we're safe from this. Yeah. And then later in Second Timothy, Paul calls out again by name, Second Timothy two, seventeen and eighteen, their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have departed from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place and they destroy the faith of some. So I think that's important to recognize that false teachers bear a certain kind of fruit. Right. And it is the fruit of destroyed faith. Mm -hmm. It is not people who are being built up and drawn closer to God through the purity of his word. Right. It is faith that ends up being twisted um, and ultimately destroyed because of false teaching. So these false teachers specifically who Paul calls out have traditionally been understood to be Gnostics. Gnostics were a religious sect that taught that people could be saved through revealed knowledge or gnosis through something that was imparted to them by some other means Mm -hmm. than what we're talking about here, than the Holy Spirit inspired, authoritative, canonized word of God. And they also held a negative view of physical or material things. Some of the other teachings Paul calls out in these letters about them is they uh, put down marriage and they right. try to teach people that you shouldn't eat certain foods. They they taught an unnecessary legalistic separation from the physical world that was not something that God had put on people. The emphasis, though, in Paul's writing to Timothy is not necessarily about their specific beliefs, but more about they're just teaching something other than the word of God yes. and thereby destroying people's faith. Right. And I have seen this spirit war play out, people start to get wrapped up in sideways teachings Mm -hmm. that really are not founded in the Word of God. They start going, just like we've talked about, down rabbit holes, chasing all kinds of conspiracy theories until they have unintentionally undermined their own faith. They lost what they started with. Yes. And until they fall away from the faith completely. Right. Right. And I would just warn you against that and ask you to recognize that that is a kind of spiritual warfare that is still relevant, that is still being waged Mm -hmm. against the church today. False teachers masquerading as apostles and as kingdom workers who stir up chaos and confusion in Christ's church, but they are, in fact, carrying out the commission of demons, even if they claim to be doing it in the name of God. Yes, and one other thing to just point out, we talked about this seeking and starting with this faith and ended up falling away because you went down too many rabbit holes. I think another manifestation of that in, in a personal walk is when you're just you're so bound up in being negative yes. in general. You can't find your place. You can't find a place to fit. You, you're kind of just on the out of God's church. Yeah. It might be because you can't, you don't have a solid understanding of what you have put your faith on. Yes. There's no concrete to that. And so making that commitment feels like it's just something that you can't do. And maybe anyone who's listening, if that's where you sit and you're not connected in God's church, maybe this is a part of that spiritual warfare that, that's going on around you in an unforeseen combat. Uh, but we encourage you, step into scripture, step through all of it, and you will find your concrete foundation in 100%. the Lord's church and you'll have your faith restored. Yes, 
So let's end with one more passage here from Christ's Apostle John about this kind of relevant spiritual warfare that we can experience even inside Christ's church. He writes in 1 John 2, starting in verse 18, Dear children, this is the last hour. As you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going out showed that none of them belonged to us. And I want to pause right there and say that while this kind of spiritual warfare is a threat to Christ's church, it is a threat not because it can defeat Christ's church, Absolutely. but because it can destroy the faith of some. That's right. The, the church of Jesus Christ, we just read, Jesus said it, it will not be defeated mm-hmm. ever but some in it can fall away because of this spiritual warfare. And that's the cost. Right. And that's what we should mourn in Right, that's right. And he goes on to say in verse 20, but you, Mm -hmm. you, the true church, have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father, and whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Mm -hmm. So just in closing this teaching from the apostles, we need to recognize that the spiritual battle isn't a need to be on guard against an Antichrist. Right. Just one spiritual power who's going to arise and make themselves known, which is how many mm-hmm. are looking to experience or witness spiritual warfare today. Right. But it's against any false teaching that denies the deity and the supremacy of Christ, that turns people away from the full counsel of God, mm-hmm. that... Uh, is brought by false apostles who claim to have miraculous abilities, but act in truth for their own profit, right. even their own monetary profit, right. and their own glory. All of these are spiritual battles that are to this day being aimed at the church. And we resist and combat these, just like you described, Stacy, by putting on the full armor of God. Absolutely. And not having this armor of God, not recognizing um, that it's it's a category of antichrist. It's all of these things that are opposite of God, I think will help us be awake while we wear the armor of God and not um, almost so passive and asleep while we walk through life, knowing that this spiritual battle is going on. So just to recap this very big question, we've started and stepped through a ton of scripture. So we're going to recap this real quick on all the things that we've walked through in the New Testament. Some of the things that we've learned from Jesus are that Satan's temptations don't always look so sinister or quite as sinister as we might think. He comes at us with ideas that look like self-preservation, self-care, self-glorification. These all undermine our our reliance to Jesus and our allegiance to Jesus. He even uh, interprets and misuses twists scripture. That's the very first thing he did to Eve. He did it against Jesus. He does it against us. False teachers do it against us in Christ's church. Another lesson that we learn from Jesus is that our lives must be filled with Christ, demonstrated through faith and obedience if we want to guard ourselves against the demonic presence or control. And then lastly, Christ's true church will not be overcome by any enemy against it or hell itself, not now and not ever. Yeah. 
Some things that we've learned from the apostles are that demons know Jesus. Demons recognize the difference between, they did recognize the difference between a true apostle and a false apostle. Even angels know not to blaspheme and abuse demons, but call on the name of the Lord to rebuke them. So we see their examples there. A great threat to Christ's church is false teaching, which scripture lays out clearly is demonic and an antichrist. We also recognize that as Christians, we have a few things in our spiritual arsenal as we walk out and participate in this unseen battle. We have truth. We share truth among one another. We have righteousness. Something Tina and I have often said is, I don't know if this what the right answer to that is, but I'm going to err on the side of righteousness. Yeah. No matter what uh, has presented itself, we always try uh, as as believers. We should always try to err on the side of righteousness. Sharing the gospel. This is a powerful weapon in our arsenal to share the gospel and good news of Jesus. To exercise our faith to trust in Christ's salvation, to know God's word, and to, as Paul put in Ephesians, to pray continually in the spirit, to be focused on heavenly things and not physical things, to let our eyes not see just flesh and blood and to be distracted from the spiritual realm where the real battle is taking place. The other thing that we know is that we need uh, not fear this realm. And we don't have to fear Satan's attacks if we are decidedly living and walking out the side of the Lord. Right. To being obedient and to be uh, fully submitted to, to Jesus in from those, like those principles we saw from Jesus' own life when he was tempted uh, by the enemy. If we are walking in that and in faithfulness and trusting in him, holding on to this whole armor of him. Yeah then we do not have to fear these attacks and to recognize it's not if they come, but when they come. And then to close, we're gonna build on that Zechariah passage where we got started, uh, the cliffhanger that we left from last week, but we need to recognize Satan's standing in all of this. There is a battle. Satan has a position in all of it. We are walking through it as we walk through life on our way to eternity. And just like Tina pointed out, that change that has happened, what is Satan's position now that we've seen this change move over in Christ's victory? That's a key. That is a key to this whole spiritual victory that we have before us. Mm -hmm. And we don't even have to call it a spiritual battle. It can be a spiritual victory, Mm -hmm. but it's because it's Christ's victory. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about Satan, because obviously he is the one um, orchestrating, commissioning all this practice of demons, this uh, idolatry, any demonic force that seeks to cut down. that's antichrist. That's it. Mm -hmm. So Satan, we need to recognize first and foremost, he's a created being. He is not on level with God. Right. We know this because uh, several scriptures point to his restrictions. We started last week by looking at Job, who could not act outside of the boundaries that God himself set. Right. Uh, Satan also had to ask God for permission to sift the apostles. That's Luke twenty two thirty one. And even at our resistance, James 4, 7 says yes. that Satan flees. Mm-hmm. Resist the enemy and he will flee from you. Mm-hmm. So if Satan were divine on level, with God instead of just a creature created by God, he we wouldn't have the power to cause him to leave us alone sure. just by resisting him. Right. And he wouldn't have to ask permission to afflict us. Right. So at some point, 
Satan was good. Right. Because everything that God created was good, according to Genesis 131. But Satan certainly did fall from that good place Mm -hmm. uh, because he's no longer good. Scripture does reference a rebellion that took place among angels. And because of that uprising, we know from 2 Peter 2, 4 and Jude 6 that some are bound in judgment. Those are those same scriptures we referenced earlier with regard to blaspheming and Mm -hmm. slandering celestial beings. However, Scripture also makes it clear that not all of the rebellious angels are demons, are in prison, or bound in judgment. We see in Ephesians 2, 1 and 2, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Right. So, uh Forces of evil, demons are certainly real. They're certainly still alive. They're certainly still active. Stacey, you also alluded to this when you read Ephesians 6. That's who we're truly battling against, not against flesh and blood, but against the demonic powers, even that are sometimes working with flesh and blood for the destruction of God's people and of Christ's church. Right. So in Luke 10, Jesus appointed 72 disciples and he sent them out and he told them, here's the message I want you to proclaim, Luke 10, 9, the kingdom of God has come near. Mm. So Jesus has not accomplished the victory in his crucifixion and resurrection yet, and yet it's near. Yes. He is going to establish his kingdom very soon. And he gave these 72 the power to perform miracles Mm -hmm. to establish the authority of their testimony. And I think that's huge here because these 72 went out doing a deliverance ministry. With a purpose. With a purpose. And it was not for glory. It was not for profit. It Mm -hmm. was to establish the testimony of Jesus Christ. And what was the testimony? The kingdom of heaven has come near. Absolutely. Luke 10, 17 and 18, the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us Mm -hmm. in your name. And Jesus replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Now, this is a key turning point because Satan's fall here is a picture of the removal of his authority. See, Satan has been the ruler of this world and gained that position through the spreading of sin. We've looked at this in past episodes, like when we discussed, did God order genocide? No, he didn't order genocide, but he issued a righteous judgment because sin was so rampant that he said in Genesis Every inclination of the heart of man was only evil Mm -hmm. all the time, and only eight righteous people were Mm -hmm. saved through that flood. See, Satan was reigning and ruling over the earth at that time, and he was the accuser bringing charges against God's people before God's throne. That's what we see him doing to Job when he comes and starts accusing Job before God. He doesn't really love you. He just loves what you can do for them. But the birth of Jesus, when he came, that was a threat to this Mm -hmm. power that Satan had exercised over God's creation for millennia. And I want to just read to you from Revelation chapter 12. We're going to start at the beginning. Verse 1, a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and 10 horns and seven crowns on its heads. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. Mm. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule the nations with an iron scepter. Mm -hmm. See, 
the coming of Christ. That's a very clear reference mm-hmm. to Jesus from Old Testament and New. And his coming brought about Satan's fall. Yep. And then his death and his resurrection empowered his disciples to minister with an authority that made the powers of hell nervous. Listen to the next part of this passage, starting in verse five. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. There's the ascension of Jesus. The woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. Then a war broke out in heaven. Mm -hmm. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was not strong enough and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down. That ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole Whole world astray, he was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Mm-hmm. So by his resurrection, Christ has conquered, and the dragon is enraged here by his defeat. This picture of him pursuing this woman. This woman represents the remnant of God's people, Christ's church today. And yet, like we've seen in this episode, we have a spiritual arsenal for his defeat. Yes, we do. Even as he's pursuing us, because Christ has already done the heavy Mm -hmm. lifting. Again, this is not our victory. This is Christ's victory. Satan is no longer in the presence of God accusing us, Jesus, our Savior, is now in that place. You you read it just now in Revelation. That child was snatched up to God, to the throne of God. That's where Jesus now sits in the presence of God advocating for us. That's right. Revelation 12, 10, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the mm-hmm. salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah for the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. Mm-hmm. They triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore, rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. Mm -hmm. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury because he knows his time is short. Mm -hmm. Where are we in this spiritual battle? We are here on this earth where Satan does have a measure of power, and he is mad because the victory has already been won. Right. His fate has already been sealed. He's just spinning out, mm-hmm. biding his time until Christ returns. Mm-hmm. And where we sit in this is we, like you've said this whole time, are just called to obedience mm-hmm. and faithfulness and submission to Christ using the tools in the arsenal of the armor of God that right. he's given to us, righteousness, sharing the gospel yes. with people, exercising our faith, Mm -hmm. knowing God's word. That's how we win this spiritual battle. But to do that, we have to choose a side. Yes. And we don't ally ourselves to God simply by saying Christ's name. Right. Right. We ally ourselves to God by submitting fully to Christ and by walking in faith and obedience. And if we're doing this, we have victory. Mm -hmm. We're not going to be overcome by this battle. And here's our assurance. Christ accomplished the victory, and he gave us all we needed to walk in victory with him. Mm -hmm. And we're just going to close this topic with some words from the Hebrew writer. This comes from Hebrews 10, 36 through 39. He says, you need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. And, but my righteous one will live by faith. And I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back, 
But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. We are guaranteed victory. And as we walk in faith, we are saved. We are victorious Mm -hmm. in this. So there is not a war for us to fear. Right. Now, I hope that that gives you the assurance that you're looking for. Um, not to seek after things beyond what is given to us, Mm -hmm. not to wish that we could see what is unseen, not to claim to have powers that we're not granted, but just to follow what God says, to walk faithfully and obediently with Christ and sit in that victory. Yes, and, and like the Hebrew writer calls us to, to persevere. And we do that as we walk out this spiritual battle walking alongside God, following out the plan that He has already laid for us in His Word. And like we say every single week, an excellent resource to walk out that perseverance, knowing what the Word of God says. Why? So we can participate in this battle, being able to know if Scripture is being misused or misrepresented, to know a false teaching and to be able to sniff that out and turn the other way, to be able to persevere. This resource, Step Into Scripture, is available on Amazon. Many of the things that we've talked about in this episode and all of our episodes is directly from this resource pinned and put together for Old Testament Old Testament promises fulfilled in the New Testament. Tina has done an amazing job of pinning all of this together for us. You can get this on Amazon. It's published by Renew.org and it is an excellent tool to accompany this open-ended commitment to reading God's Word, to persevere, having faith and walking towards our eternity, awaiting His return. Just like the Hebrew writer says, I, I I I wish that every believer would whisper this every day. I'll I'll echo it just one more time. In just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. Wouldn't that be a great thing to be today? Yeah, it would. It sure would. So guys, thank you so much for joining us. We look forward to stepping through scripture with you more next week. See ya. Hello, listener. Thank you for tuning into a Renew.org podcast. We want to invite you to join us this April in Indianapolis for our 2024 gathering, Courageous Renewal. We will feature speakers such as Anthony Walker, Tina Wilson, Bobby Harrington, Jonathan Storman, and so much more. Secure your spot now at renew.org slash events. That is renew.org slash events. Hope to see you there.